on Book Circle Online today. It's time for some gay history, gay entertainment history. History is not just gay, but entertainment. We're talking about Charles Pierce next. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Book Circle Online. I am your host, James Lott Jr. And I'm so excited because, I mean, it just there's some people that I admired growing up, and I'm glad I'm able to actually talk about them with someone who knew this person, like worked with them for 20 years. Charles Pierce was a consummate male actress. I believe he said that. And we're <laughs> going to talk to the author of his biography. And actually, this book... He actually has excerpts from his unwritten autobiography that he was reading. He's writing. So lucky to have found So it. lucky you found those. Yeah. And the book is called Write That Down. <laughs> I love, we're going to talk about why it's titled that. It's such a great book. And we have, we're here with author Kirk Frederick. How are you? Hello, I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I love that. I, I really enjoy this book. With a four with Armistead Maupin. If you don't know who he is, Tales of the City. Hello. And other things he's done. Okay. And as, you, as I was telling you, I've been reading the book. I have my notes yeah. and stuff. We're going to talk about <laughs> stuff. I we do. Um, so you worked with Charles Pierce for about 20 years, the last 20 years of his life or so? It was the last 20 years of his career. Career. Yeah. yeah. We started first in 1969. He has built up, having graduated from the Pasadena Playhouse in the yeah. late 40s, as an actor. And then he struggled and he didn't find work. So he thought, you know what, I'm a really good impressionist. And all of his afternoons he used to go to movies and he saw Betty Davis and he said, boy, is she funny and boy, yeah. is she over the top. Yeah. So he started doing his own impressions of these stars and Jack Benny and Charles Lawton and a lot of other people. So he started putting together a nightclub act, came up with like five or six funny impressions of those people and Eleanor Roosevelt. <laughs> no, really. Who else does a, a nightclub act? Right, Eleanor Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Right, right. So all of a sudden, somebody saw him at a party and said, we have a club in Altadena, California. Altadena. La Vie, say La Vie. And would you come and do Sunday nights? It's our slow night and we'll okay. you know, put up a stage. I'll be darned if he didn't go in and and few nights of slow and then yeah, the word yeah. got out and it built and built and built and then he moved to San Francisco and did the Gilded Cage for six straight years and only about halfway through that in the mid 60s did he go into full drag wow. it, well it used to be illegal you know for a while yeah, for men yeah. to dress as women you, on stage you guys today you think of RuPaul's Drag Race and all that oh, you could not oh, do that oh how things have changed yeah they've changed yes. <laughs> thank you RuPaul I mean really yes. no, you really, yeah. really give him cred yes I agree and so Charles decided to just sort of buck the trend of drag which was not really allowed you know they'd put on a shawl or a funny wig or something and Charles said oh no I'm going in full glamour drag right which was unusual and in San Francisco you could get by with anything and he did and so word got out and people and then the laws the laws never really changed they just weren't enforced mm -hmm. so he really had this great career boost in the 60s yeah. and San Francisco Chronicle Herb Kane loved him and mentioned Kane. him all the time yeah. and that did it and that started and there were magazines back in the day there, were, there wasn't there was any advocate or anything like that back then. They had Vector, which I remember. Yep. Oh, yeah. And a few other ones that were like really kind of small, national, but kind of, they weren't, as, the circulation wasn't as huge because being gay was not a good thing. Not a, not an out thing. Not an out thing. There was a lot of us, but we were in the yes. closet. So, yes. And that's the funny thing that Charles, you know, appealed 
to a gay crowd. We were in a show where we met in 1969 was a play called Geese, which was a a nice little play about being gay and that it, it was okay to be gay. Right. I played a, um, an older student of a guy who'd gone to his frat party and rushed him and, and brought him home and the young kid talked me into being gay and it's a very sweet play. So it was all about being gay and then they cast Charles as this kid's mother because it, <laughs> the, you know, the, I, they saw him and they thought, you know, this, this play could use... Well, it needed a little help at the box office, oh, okay. so they celebrity cast Charles Pierce. Yeah, but we didn't know he was such a good actress. I mean, and he didn't camp it up in this role. He played the woman straight. I mean, wow. there's a Betty Davis line here and there. Yeah, but for the most part, it was a very straight role about a mother who accepts the fact that her son is gay. So all of a sudden, we're on the, kind of the front wave of this "it's okay to be gay" movement going on in '68, '69. The show ran into the '70s, and we came down to Los Angeles and did Ciro's. Sarah's oh, yes, Night, remember yes. old Sarah's yes. Nightclub? <laughs> yes. And then, all of a sudden, the Hollywood Reporter showed up, the L.A. Times showed up. Oh, and straight up. people started going. I mean, it was a, it was oh, a big my thing. God. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was incredible to see. And then by the time he did Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, yeah. I have to say, easily half the audience was straight. I believe it. And he packed the place. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, 3,200 yeah. people. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. And, and then repeated it later. Yeah, people, you know, to give you a context, um, a movie that came out around that time period, Boys in the Band. Oh, yeah. Which was very controversial, but even with gay people, it was controversial. Yeah, still is today. Still is. There was there was really nothing else out there that was openly gay in terms of gay positive, so to speak, or gay centric. That wasn't right. where the person's getting killed right. or like stabbed. Right. You know, they're horrible. Right. Right. You know, so I mean, so for him to come out there in that time period and say, "I'm going to be an actress in drag," so to speak. Yeah. People didn't know what to do about it. Yeah. They didn't understand it. And so the people that saw the play, Geese, just mm-hmm. fell in love with him and the play. And then uh, his career was helped more by it than it by by him. Uh-huh. Uh, the show had its run and closed, and it's never been heard of since. But Charles went on to a great, you know, additional 20-year yeah. career all the way through the the, say, the rest of the 70s and all through the 80s, yeah. and then retired in 1990. Yeah, the thing is, you know, in this business especially, you never know what's going to get you started. It, does, it doesn't yeah. really matter, right? No. It doesn't. It could, no. Be anything. it could be in a horror film that was like a, a great Z movie, whatever it is, and it could lead you to something that's long. You're talking 20, 30 years later. You're still working. Sitting in makeup today for this, I was watching, um, there was an episode of, of I Love Lucy on. Mm-hmm. Barbara Eden was her first appearance ever. As the sexy lady that comes oh, into the fine. and Ricky dances with her and Lucy gets jealous and decides she needs to be more glamorous, yes. puts on the tight gown, can't sit down, <laughs> does great comic timing, and you realize that that's how Barbara Eden got her start. Yeah. Well, it's how Charles Pierce got his start, basically. Small yeah. clubs and yeah. then bang, 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 moved up. We were playing Studio One in 1978, and Margaret yeah. came to see him. Margaret, I love her. Who doesn't? I know. Oh my God. She came backstage, and I'll never forget her standing at the door of the dressing room and looking into Charles and saying, Charles. I'm opening at Caesar's Palace in oh October of 78. God. Would you open my show for me? Oh, my God. Well, I, I think before she even... <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So he was so excited. Talk about crossover. Yeah. I mean, right. it was kind of a tough audience because they came to see Ann Margaret. Well, they didn't course, see course. some guy in drag yeah, doing yeah. Betty Davis. Yeah. But I have to say, he won them over. I believe it. As hard as it was, he never worked harder in his life. And it was a hard job, too, because it was 14 days in a row. They take oh, no man. night off in Vegas. Oh, really? No, it's two shows a night, 14 days in a oh, row. Oh, my God. We were, we were worn yeah, out. Like, yeah, he I was exhausted, exhausted, but you were yeah, exhausted, too. Yeah. Help yours, man. You were helping out. And Anne Margaret danced poor little ass off all the time. I she know. just worked, she worked, worked. But uh, so you forget how hard sometimes this is to do. But Charles really did pay his dues. 
I believe it. Yeah. And reading this book, I totally believe it. Well, you know, May 31st this month marks his 17 years passing. Yeah. And so how does that feel for you when it comes around now? It's hard because um, I am the same age he was when he died. Oh, interesting. This is really, really hard for me. Yeah. I it, It's not lost on me, and it, it, it's very hard to... Yeah. That and I'm not going to get El Terry. Oh, I but, like El No, it's yeah. it's sweet, and because um, um, I was crazy about the guy, and we were yeah. crazy about each other, and so yeah, when it comes around, this is when I'm happiest about having written the book, mm. because you know he died in '99. Yes. And I didn't write this book or publish it until 2016. It's like, you know, that's a long time yeah. to wait. Um, I wasn't sure there would be an audience for it, and blah blah. You know, all the yeah. excuses you think for I, I I've never written a book. I had enough friends encouraging me. And finally, when I worked on a cruise ship, there was a guy who met me and said, found out I worked with Charles Pearson. He said, oh, you have got to write the book. Yeah, yeah. And that stuck. And I said, okay, Bert Hickson was his name. I will do this for you. And I thought, no, I'm going to do this for Charles. And do it for me, too. Because I loved the guy, and I loved his material. And I thought, this material needs to get out there. I started hearing a lot of his material popping up on I'm watching YouTube and I hear that's a Charles Pierce line I'm sure I you know so I wanted to make sure that he was at least credited yes for for writing this this material and I was using it to at parties <laughs> <laughs> I thought I better really get get the record straight here I just want to say our the president of our company books are going online Jeffrey Masters is in our little chat room he says hello hello so he's well, Jeffrey, Jeffrey's here he's Jeffrey's here he's only passed you on to me so I'm oh. so glad Thank Jeffrey. You. Thank you, Jeffrey, Thank you especially. Very much. Um, yeah, no, it's it's just the timing is so good for this, I think. And I, I think hope so. again, as we're talking off camera, the young kids today, the young adults today who are doing not even just drag, but doing some kind of impersonating or yes. it's it's a good thing to go back and kind of see what he what he did because yeah, go ahead. Yes. Well no, I was just gonna say, I hope it helps people who are a little bit shy about this. Say, it's okay. Once again, it's okay to be gay. It's okay to be whatever you are. Be a good one. Yes. And if you're a good impersonator, if you're a good impressionist, mm -hmm. if you, you know, Charles didn't like the term drag queen. Yes, let's talk about that. Yes. Well, partly because there are drag queens who are very good at what they do, who can get in great glitter and fabulous makeup and lip sync to Cher or Bette Midler or Madonna or whoever is going on now. Now it's Lady Gaga. Right. And right. it's amazing to me how talented these guys are. Mm -hmm. Rarely do they do live material. And this was partly written so I would encourage people to pick up that mantle. If you can do vocal mm -hmm. impersonations, if you're funny, mm -hmm. try this. Steal some material from yeah, you. Yeah, sure, do. The, you know, it's not copyright. Well, it is copyright, but you can have it. <laughs> I mean, Charles Pierce is gone. He would love it if somebody used it. I'm sure he would love it. I'm sure he would he love it He would now. love oh, it. Yes. Yeah. He loved it. And it's such good material. Yeah. Even, uh, you know, having been written some of it 40, 50 years yeah. ago, yeah. it still works. Yeah. It's still very funny. Yeah. So my, my message to anybody out there who thinks they can do this, why not? Yeah, why not? Why not? Now, I'm going to tell you, my, in my opinion, uh, when he said that he liked being called a male impersonator or a stand-up... Male actress. Male actress. Yeah, male actress. Yeah. Male actress. Yeah. I felt that was kind of political a little bit. Very what? ballsy to say that. It's like, I'm not... I'm still a man. Yeah. But I'm happy to perform for you. Very ballsy. He was, was ballsy. ballsy. To do what he was doing in the mm -hmm. 60s and 70s was hugely ballsy. Mm -hmm. And he did it. And he did it proudly, and he did it really well. I mean, it helped that everyone loved him. Yeah. I, I, I write in the book, I mean, I saved reviews because I was also his publicist. Yeah. And when I went back to do the research for this book, I looked through, I couldn't find one bad review. 
See, there you not go. one bad review. Wow. Not a That's line rare. about That's how rare. dead. No, no, no. And and people, he went to New York, and Clive Barnes, who was a notoriously tough critic in New York, fell in love with him. And so, so you couldn't not like Charles Pierce. So he knew he was good, and he knew he could do this. He could be a voice for the gay community. He could be a great drag artiste mm-hmm. and a funny Impressionist, and you know mm-hmm. all the all of his skills honed into one. Mm-hmm. That face could become anything. I know, How he could go from Betty Davis to Mae West to and George, Joe Shannon, Collins to Joe Collins I and mean, Tallulah Bankhead and all yeah. these, and, and Eleanor Roosevelt. Right. I mean, right. just by a, a change of attitude in his yeah. voice. You know, he would say one word and he could be in, into Mae West. Yeah. Oh, oh, he and, and he was Mae West. Yeah, you know. Thank you, Betty Davis. Yeah, and these things just—and he changed so quickly. Yeah. So then, when I came into his his life and his act, I wanted to speed it up. I wanted oh, him really? to do more on stage. He used to do a section of the show, like the Hollywood Blondes, and okay. then he would go off to change clothes, and he'd show little movies or little slideshows he'd put yeah. together, or some comic thing. But it killed the pace of the show, and I said. If I and another guy were backstage and we're yanking wigs off and pulling your dress and doing your shoes and doing everything, we can change you in about 15, 20 yeah, seconds. Yeah, good, right, good, right. So what he did, we got a, a, a stand mic backstage, and so he'd walk off as one character yeah. and continue talking as the other while all the changing is going on. <laughs> I and love that. wigs are going on, and he would go to this choker and snap and the Velcro, and, yeah. and, and he'd walk back on stage in 15 seconds, and people go, oh, he's in completely different. Yeah. Clothes. It was the same thing. Never made a makeup change. Never, ever. So, different wig, different costume, Mm -hmm. different jewelry, different shoes, whatever, and and bang. So, all that helped make him that incredibly gifted performer. I agree. So, we're going to show, we're going to flash some pictures. I want you to comment on each picture a little bit. Do a little comment. So, we're going to show some of those of some of the characters he played and uh, some of the ones that I like. Okay, we have that first one. <laughs> well, you may have heard of her. It's it's his version of Betty Davis. Yes. As the famous young glamorous too. Betty Davis. Very famous picture. That's a famous picture. A great photographer named Rocky I know, Shank. Beautiful. Shock. Rocky Shank. He did it for a magazine. I wish I could remember the name of the magazine. Yeah, I, me I, either. I But um, a lot, it was a lot of drag artists that were photographed and he did a lot of them through gauze mm. so but Charles loved that picture it was his, Charles, I, his very favorite, favorite picture of Betty Davis yep next one well, that's another Betty Davis shot. Yes, um, but, I, but I, it's from I'm like it's from San Francisco, from the from the Fairmont, the Fairmont Hotel. It's what we use on the yes, cover of the book too. I I know that I know that poster. I've seen I'm back in the, I've seen that poster well, before. That's I also did graphics and I came up with that line because this was his final San Francisco engagement. I think I remember that supposedly. Too. I mean, uh, you remember how people would have their final. We talked. Well, shared it like ten times. Shared yes. you know, Beverly Sills. Yes. And, <laughs> so so Charles said, no, no, this is the last year I can do this. Yeah. And so I said, so you're going to be taking... And this this photograph they took of him doing Betty that's Davis. Beautiful. I said, we, what about calling it the last drag? And he went, oh, that's well, perfect with the cigarette and the drag act. Well, so, anyway, thank you. That's it. Oh, Joan Collins. You did, Joe. Did the Joan Dynasty Collins. was so big. Hey, folks, Dynasty, if you don't, if you were around the 80s, oh. Dynasty was huge. And Alexis Carrington, Colby, Dexter, Rover, <laughs> she was huge. She was very big. So, and I heard Joan actually liked this. Joan loved it. I know she loved it. That's why I heard she loved it. They flew him to Las Vegas <laughs> to do a, one of those Dean Martin roasts. Yeah. And he was on the dais with her. Yeah, I love it. And she hadn't seen him before. She'd heard of him. Yeah. But he started doing, um, I'm, I'm Joan Collins. I'm I'm like a Tom Collins, but without the cherry. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
<laughs> and she lost it. I love so it. So it was great. And so yeah. they became really good friends. There's a, yeah. a, a there's a fabulous photograph of them from backstage. Oh, okay. Really can't tell them apart. Oh, dang it. And this is this whole series of just different that's ones. That's the series that's on the cover of the book. Yes. The top left is his version of Norma Desmond. <laughs> I love it. Uh, uh, Gloria Swanson. Yes. Uh, from the movie Sunset Boulevard. Is Norma yeah. I'm out. All my fans out there in the dark. Yes. And he would get his eyes bugged and pop like that. And these claw fingernails came up. <laughs> yes, I love it. Out there in the dark. <laughs> they don't come anymore for the popcorn, the chewing gum, the peanut brittle. You know why? I'll tell you why. The people who remember me can't chew. That's why. <laughs> I know, so I that's know, that great pose. Is yes. um, upper right is his Carol Channing. Carol Channing, of, of course. course. Of course. Lower left is him playing this guy named Charles Pierce. <laughs> Which he did really well. I think he looks, looks really natural. Very natural. Yes, agree. So. And, and the, the funny thing about him, no one ever recognized him. Oh, well, how funny. No, because... I guess he not. Was, he would never come out at the end and take the wig off and say, this is what I really Oh, he didn't? Like. Oh, okay. He never no, did. Okay. No. And on the right is uh, Tallulah Bankhead. Yeah. Uh, usually, um, well, Tallulah Bankhead was a caricature of herself. Exactly. Okay, anyway, uh, if you don't know who uh, she was, uh, uh, she's like, she was, yeah. You have to watch the old Lucille Ball episode yes. that she did with the, yeah. you know, with Miss Bankhead. Miss Bankhead, she always talked like this, nothing. And she always sounded like she was drunk because probably yes. she was. Thank you, you know, James. <laughs> yeah, she did. I'm like, well, just, I just love that. You're right. His face was so pliable. It was oh, like, my God. Just it is crazy. Now, so, I mean, so Charles came to your orbit through that show. So, how did you go from being. A co-star to being, you know, in his team. A it's major part of his things, team. Major I had team. been trained as a Shakespearean actor. I went to Santa Clara University, worked in the okay. California Shakespeare Festival, did a lot of Shakespeare, a lot of classical theater, and I loved it. And then I got to San Francisco, and what did I audition for? Geese, this gay play. Yeah. <laughs> I got that part. And then I started working with Charles backstage, and I thought, I get just as much enjoyment out of kind of pushing him on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do the fast changes and do right. and support him. You're, you're involved. You're involved. Yeah, and then we became a, kind of a team, and he appreciated what I was doing for him. And yeah. so I thought, you know what? I could do this backstage for a while. And then I, I started doing his publicity, and then I had my own graphic arts company, mm-hmm. and I found out that I really liked it backstage almost yeah. as much as on. And then I got into Beach Blanket Babylon. There's a story about... Oh, so you, if you have not gone to San Francisco and ever been to uh, just oh, the show... still playing. I mean, and, and live <laughs> out the door every night it plays, still to this day. 42 years yeah. later. Yeah, and they update it. They always update it. I mean, oh, yeah. with current, current events, they update it. Oh, it's Donald just, Trump's in it right now. Oh, I'm, I'm like, sure. Oh, oh, I'm sure. Oh. I'm they sure. skewer everybody and everything. Well, it's, Charles was doing a show at a club in San Francisco, and Beach Blanket Babylon came in off the streets in 19... Oh, wow. 19... Oh, my God, 74. And they didn't have a stage manager. So by the vir- virtue of the fact that I was Charles' stage manager, yeah. I became Beach Blanket Babylon's. Stage oh, manager. Oh, wow, okay. So that show moved to a, a club that it's still in called, yeah. it was called Fugazi Hall. It's still in yeah. Club Fugazi. Yeah. And Charles moved to LA about the time. So I didn't come with him because by then what I did could be taught to somebody else in the matter okay. of an evening. So I would come down here, teach somebody the, the ropes, oh, okay. and set the okay. show up, and, okay. and then go back to San Francisco and do my own job in Beach Blanket. And then I had to go on one night, because as stage manager, and no one shows up one night, someone doesn't show up for a part, you oh. have to go on. You know that? No, you I did not know. Biz? No. That's why stage managers are often on stage reading oh, the part. If somebody I is never sick, knew that. That's why they have understudies now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah, rarely yeah. happens anymore. But at the time, we didn't have understudies. Yeah. So one of the guys, we were doing a Christmas show. The guy went home for Christmas got stuck in the snow and couldn't make it back. Yeah. Kirk, you're on. 
Okay. I'd seen the show. You have to, I didn't know the choreography, so the choreographer got together with me the afternoon, and I was on. So they took me to to the permanent show at Fugazi Hall, where I played the um, M&M Peanut, the Tumbling Tumbleweed, and the Tap Dancing Christmas Tree. Okay. So, you know, after that, where can you go? So I thought, you know, I've reached the pinnacle of my success as a performer. I'm going to stay backstage. And so the rest is history with Charles Pierce backstage. Um, You know, one of the things about this book that's really interesting, because I didn't expect when I was reading it, I didn't expect it until I got to those points, was that he was writing a memoir, and you actually found some of the chapters that he was writing and put it in a book. I didn't know he was So it's a bonus. So it's a bonus. I, it was in my research and going to yeah. the One Archives here at USC and the Billy Rose Theater Collection at uh, New York Public Library in New York City at Lincoln Center, and I started looking through papers. There's personal papers, and I was very lucky to get access to everything. So I found one item in the catalog, personal papers, outline for book. Mm-hmm. An outline for I didn't know he was writing a book. Well, he didn't tell me he was. He never told me. Okay. He always wanted to, and he always talked okay. about it. Okay. He got he was diagnosed with prostate cancer in '97, and so okay. in '96, he had been talking about the idea, put it aside. Then when he got the diagnosis, yes, he went in. And started I got to write this book. Yeah. So it is basically, and you'll see it in the mm-hmm. book, in the appendix of my book. I actually verbatim. Everything he wrote. Mm-hmm. And the chapters are very short. They're very they were, short, guys. Very they, were, short. they were basically outlines. Here's yeah. what I'm going to write about. Yeah. And he'll he'll do a story or two. Mm-hmm. So this was this chapter of how we got started. And then in radio. And the, the, they're very personal. He's, he's, he's coming from, you could hear his voice talking. You can hear his too. voice, yeah. So yeah. I'm so glad I found it. And I'm so glad that because... Basically, he had no one to will anything to. Yeah. I have all of his stuff. Okay. So I have all of his videotapes, for instance. All oh, that wow. write it down stuff. Write that down. Yeah. I told you that story. Well, okay, uh, so everybody, he's okay. going to tell us right now. The book title is Write That Down. You read, I read it in the book. Tell him why it's that title. Because Charles was so good at ad-libbing. Yes. He was the master at improvisational comedy. He could pick up on anything and say something, and out of this brilliant mind came a line that I heard the laughter on stage. It's hysterical. I said, there's not a big laugh like that in this <laughs> section of the show. What's right. going So then I heard, write that down. I didn't know. I hadn't heard what he'd said. Oh. So because of that, I started listening more carefully. Yeah, you know, I'm getting yeah. costumes ready and things. Yeah. And so I had to start writing things down. But along came this brand new technology in 1970 called videotaping. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. So I said, Charles, we're going to go buy a video camera set up in the back of the house and oh, yeah. videotape every show. And then you see what he said. And then he can take the tape home every night, oh. watch it, and then he can remember what, what got him into it. Because okay. sometimes he said, well, I remember this line, but I don't remember how I got into oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was very helpful. Well, all yeah. those videotapes, he would say, okay, uh, next day he bring me the videotape. So I've watched this. You can tape over it now. I'd go, yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's Put in a new yeah. video, and I kept all those tapes. So smart. And yeah, and he he knew I was keeping them for archive purposes. Well, you know, back then, like there's some early all my children things that all got taped over. No one really thought about saving them. Archives were not heard of. No, it was like we, we got practicality. We got we got to use the tape again. And now, I mean, everything's now everything's recorded, yeah, which yeah. is great. Yeah. So the reason I wrote that down was because I used to have to write down yeah. the lines. And then there were videotapes. And because those videotapes still exist, I, were, I was able to listen and watch yeah. about about 50 of his shows and wow. get all the material. I want to I want to quote a line. Okay. The book. My, my, my bad eyes. Um, <laughs> I have trifocals. I got to look at like, which, which, which level I'm looking at. 
Oh, it's hard getting older sometimes. Tell me. Yeah. At the end of each of his performances, Charles quotes his favorite line from the play Home, which he had seen and heard Sir John Gilgood, I'll say a many sir in there, yeah. deliver live on Broadway. Quote, if a person can't be what they are, what's the point of being anything at all? Which I, that line, when I read that, made me tears my eyes, kind of. Because I just really, I really feel like nowadays the reason why I'm sitting here being whoever I want to be is people like that. Yeah. Who really believed that and was just like, that's something, he said it maybe a hundred times to people. Oh, he said it almost every night. And so, I mean, somebody show. out yeah. there carried that with them. It changed their life. Do you know, it's very funny you should mention that. You know Michael Kearns, the yes, actor. of course. Very good friend, and he's an old friend of Charles. As a matter of fact, he was the MC at Charles's funeral. Wow. They I'd were, love to interview him sometime. They, you should. You I'd must. love to. He's what, history? fascinating guy. I'm sure. No, I know. I'm sure. Oh, my God. And so smart and such a great actor. Yeah. He saw Charles at Ciro's in 1970. He was just a young, fledgling actor. Mm. And he, I'll never forget, he came backstage. First of all, he was dropped that gorgeous. I mean, he's, he's, and, you know, and, and he so came handsome. back. And, uh, you know, we were going home. <laughs> and then he came back. And I was kind of cute at the time myself, so we kind of went... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to this day, I think we have a crush on each other. Okay, but, how but, fun. But he said, and I overheard him say this to Charles, you said a line tonight that changed my life. Yeah. It's that thing about if a person can't be what they are, what's the point of being anything at all? And Michael and Michael Kearns had tears in his eyes. Yeah. And to this day, he remembers that line. He says, and I live by that all the time. Me too. And the other thing is, Charles came up with another line later. It says, whatever you are, be a good one. I like, I like that one, too. Absolutely. Whatever your talent Own it, is, and it just be good. It. And, and be good. Be good at it. And don't bury it. You know? Don't yeah. bury talent. But that really, that, that, that's that why I can see yeah. it. It stuck with me. I read it. It's like, wow. I, yeah. I've never got to see him live in concert. Like, I never got to see him live. Yeah. So that's the only regret I have of that. But I do. I was familiar with his work and everything. And, yeah. and that line, like, if I heard that, I probably would bawl my eyes out. Just like, Well, it does that. It's yeah. a very important, powerful line. David Story wrote it in a book called Home, in a play called Home. It's amazing. And you start the book out with, <laughs> I just love this quote, from Mary Pettibone Poole from yeah. Beggars Can't Be Choosers, The Glass Eye at the Keyhole. In 1938, she said this. He who laughs lasts. That a great line. It's a great. It's a great line. You know, because the famous thing about he who laughs lasts. Yeah. Lasts, no, no, no. Like, like that's just like he, he who laughs, laughs, comma, lasts. I love to laugh. I laugh all the time. People know my laugh. Well, here. you know, laughter being the best yeah. medicine. Well, and it really is. It's what I said in the during the horrible eighties when <laughs> Charles still had to entertain people. <sighs> yeah. I got to tell you, that was a tough time. You and people don't understand. You have been around. I have a picture with uh, nine friends and seven are dead. I watched each of them die. Wow! In front of me. Each no, one. we all did. Age two, was just like two or three times his dressers apart. died, and he he, was this thing. he did every benefit possible to help oh, wow. people through it. But and he, and people kept saying, "Now you're going to mention it, aren't you? Going to say something about dealing with it?" He said, "No, I'm I'm going to do everything I can not to mention it because people are coming to the inner, to the theater to be taken out of themselves. Right, you're right. Yeah, you want to get out of it, get away from it, you right. know, laugh. Right. And so that's partly what I feel that Charles was able to contribute in the '80s. Was there were no medicines that were helping people with no, HIV? There wasn't. So medicine, the laughter became the best medicine. medicine. That's so true because I used to go to comedy, take some friends at comedy clubs and things, or, or you know, gay themed things that were really funny because yeah, you had to get out of this. I mean, it was like you were li- they were living it every. We were all living it every day, yeah. whether we had it or not, it didn't matter. We were all in it together. I mean, literally, we were in it together, and it was yeah. this thing that no one knew what how how it was being being spread and what was going on, and people were dying right away. I mean, I had friends who looked like us, great and healthy, and then like two days later, they're gone. God. 
Very you know, so yeah. entertainment was very important, and there's already there's already entertainment already happening that was dealing with AIDS. Mm-hmm. You know, there's already there's already plays and and things that are already dealing with that. So you need the kind of opposite too to kind of balance it out. The balance. So you can have a night out and just like forget your troubles. Come on, get happy, right? Hello, it's exactly what it is. Yeah, Yeah. forget your troubles, and he did, and he really helped people. You could see. I mean, you knew when AIDS patients were going in to, to see the show. You could just pick them out, and then to watch them start beaming. Yes, sure. When you could see them absolutely forgetting everything that was yeah. going on, and just have that great moment of laughter. No, I I think Charles really was a savior in many ways. I mean, he did save a lot of people's senses of humor, mm-hmm. and didn't save many lives, but he sure, yeah. you know, saved saved the laughter. I and, always say that entertainment is just as important. To our health, as politics, you know, eating, exercise, yeah, yeah. breathing. It's like it's just that inter- good entertainment, yeah. and even good comedy, good performance. Yeah. It's just it's just so, it's so good for us. It's good for our brains, our hearts, everything. That's why it's fun writing a comedy book. Yeah, you know, writing a book about comedy. Yeah, it's hard to write some of his comedy because it was so vocal. And you yeah, know, there's there's hard things to, to say. How do you spell oh, that great line that Betty Davis and Charles Pierce and uh, Tallulah Bankhead, Charles Pierce would play both characters. Yes. Change and then do this and do yes. that. Yeah. And that great line that Betty says to Tallulah, your mother called you Tallulah because she couldn't spell bleh. <laughs> how do you spell that? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you so, did capture much yeah. of it in here. I mean, I, I can hear, I can hear. His voice, I could be. I was transformed to some of his gigs. I can, I can kind of see it in there. You, yeah, you did, yeah. you did that Thank in there. You. What you. was, who was his favorite character to play? Do you think Betty? So Betty oh, yeah. was. Oh yeah, his absolutely. Favorite. Yeah, he looked forward to her every night because Charles was very professional. He would never take a drink before the show. Oh, no, okay. never did drugs. Never did any of that stuff. So he. He knew by the time he got to the Betty Davis segment of the show, which was the sort of second of the last. He could have a martini. Okay. okay. And he had one martini, and he made a whole bit about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you yeah. know, they would say, I need a drink. And so they would bring him a drink. Oh, uh, okay. And, the, and they would start putting things like lemon peels that were too big, and he'd pick them and say, oh, oh Barbara Streisand's nail clippings clip. You know, <laughs> a cherry, memories. And so the, the routine. Yeah. And then he would take a drink and spit take it out. And say, That's awful. Tastes like something you'd sit in to remove a tattoo, which I think is one of the funniest lines he ever <laughs> yes, wrote yes. because the visual of sitting <laughs> right, in you're right, exactly. to remove like, a tattoo is hysterical. Yeah. But so that was his time to relax into the show. Okay, and he's been thinking and thinking, and oh, yeah, yeah, he yeah, could yeah. do it in his sleep. So he yeah. just could have his cocktail, and you could see him kind yeah. of relaxing. And sometimes the segment would get a little longer than it normally did. No one ever complained. I'm sure they didn't. But he just loved doing Betty. Wow. Well, we're going to show him doing a little bit of Joan Crawford. This little piece is only like about a minute long. It it makes me laugh every time. Okay. I just love it. It's so over the top. Okay. But it shows his acting skills. That music. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you a lot of history. That wire hanger is like all messed up. <laughs> and this is the Dorothy Chanter Pavilion. 3,200 people. This is a great theater. Oh my god. And he's usually in, doing intimate nightclubs. Okay. But that music, everything oh, is working. Michael Biaggi at the piano. Okay. The great musical director. There we go. All together now. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. No! 
I just I had, to, I had to show that to you guys. I just I love that so much. But the scene right before they do show what you're talking about, how they're changing his because he's talking. Yes. And he's changing the chin to put the wig on. They do show so it's on YouTube. You can see it. It's Charles Pierce and John Crawford. You can see that on there at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a great, it's a great theater. But they do. But I just I think it's just I mean, but the music, the way his face, everything is like oh. he's he really is acting. He's not just impersonating John Crawford. No. He's doing some more stuff with that. So he I think was a great so actor. Uh, well, male actress. Male actress. No. <laughs> See, you know, you, learn, you, taught, you taught me to say that. I'm, I'm saying male actress these days. That's fine. Cool. And so, it's like, so it. now, did how was his kind of personal life in the middle of all this stuff? Did he have one? Was it kind of, I mean... He was low-key. I yeah. mean, he worked really hard, and his whole yeah. life was his show. He was constantly yeah. working on the costumes or the new well, sure. I mean, talk about the maintenance. Yeah. He had closets and closets full of clothes and wigs and shoes. I wish I could have gone gone through them. Oh, you and 80 million other... (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And frankly, I only know... I I know he gave them away to friends. Okay, okay. uh, There are a few at the archives at at USC. Okay. But they're pretty much gone, and the wigs, I think, have probably disintegrated by now. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) But he really spent so much time... So if he wasn't at home working on the wigs or the costumes or sewing stuff himself... Mm-hmm. or making stuff up. He was watching old movies to get new lines. Mm. So he was constantly working on the act. It really was his whole life. Yeah. Um, he, he didn't cook much, so he would go out to dinner a lot. So he had a lot of friends that he'd go out to dinner with. Okay. I, oh, I had more dinners with him than I could count. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And later in his life, he became friends with people like B. Arthur. Yes, that's a, that's a big talk about B. Arthur, yes. Oh, she and he were just inseparable, wow. which was great for both of them yeah, because yeah. they were... I swear they were the same person. Wow. Uh, they had the same sense of humor. They got along really well. Her comic timing is just a... Oh, they were both so deadpan. Yes. Know, just... Perfect. Oh, my God. When she gives a look, you're like, oh, my oh, God. It's just amazing. Yeah. You're laughing at that look. She hasn't opened her mouth yet. No. And you're just like, oh, my God. Yeah. She really perfected that when she was on, on Golden Girls. Yeah. Like, she really perfected that. It was oh, like, yeah. And he adored her. Always did. Yeah. And then they met and just fell instantly in love with, probably in like first, and then in love with each other. And then, so that was pretty much his, how he spent his personal life, just quietly at home in his funny little North Hollywood apartment. Yeah. And doing nothing but uh, working on the act. And how was it for you balancing your life? Because they said you also did other things. You said you were doing Beach Bank and Babylon. How did you balance your life while devoting time to him? I was good at multitasking. I really was. I'm the kind of personality that is high energy. And kind of a Renaissance guy. There's a lot of stuff I do and do well, oh, or at least do. You know, yeah. whether it's well <laughs> it to be seen. But you know, I was raised as an actor, and 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 my dad was an artist, so I learned graphic arts, and, I, and there's just a lot of stuff that I was sort of you know adept at. I realized when acting wasn't going to make a very good living for me, yeah. I started a graphic arts studio and an advertising agency in San yeah. Francisco. So that worked and so I could I could juggle. I could work during the day and then work at night. I had enough energy. Oh, okay, to yeah, paid. okay. Yeah. So it worked out really well. And especially when I was doing things like theatrical Advertising, yeah, because I would do all the shows that came through San Francisco, okay. and so okay. and so I would do all of Charles's graphics and advertising yeah. too, which yeah. was fun. So I was, we were constantly working on his show, yeah. and I, then I would go home and do my own show, my yeah. own, right. Right. my own business, and it just it worked. It just okay. really worked well, and it was it wasn't constant because, like right. I said, for instance, when he went to London, he said, "Do you want to go?" And I said, "Yes, I want to," but I'm involved with Beach Blanket now, yeah, so I can't really leave yeah. that job. You can find somebody in London to change right. you, and so it's right. oh, I can't get so, you know, he, but he did, so it was okay, and and I did as much of those things with him as I could. And he was able to find other people too. What is one thing you didn't put in the book that we might be interested to know about uh, Charles Pierce? 
Or is, um, there, or is everything in there already? Is everything in there? Pretty much everything is in there. Okay. Um, he and I had a little falling out once okay. because okay. I went to work at a cruise line. <laughs> and I thought it would be fun to bring him and B. Arthur on the cruise ship. Oh, wow, okay. And they could talk about their careers and he could yeah. do his act and it would yeah. be great. Well, we went out to dinner and we all had a little too much to drink. And she started railing on me and, the, and my boss was with me too about... Well, do I get a penthouse? Do I get a butler? Do I get this and that? And, and here we are inviting them on this cruise, and and they're kind of going off. So we had a little tiff about that, and okay. we, you know we didn't speak for a while. So that's the one thing that I decided not to mention. Yeah, yeah. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? Um, but literally, it is the only time that I really got angry with him because right. he had, he was so even keeled. Right. I even write about the one time he lost his temper when yeah. the guy in San Diego said his hands looked old, <laughs> you know, and he was so <laughs> he was so upset about that. Yeah, well, some reason they get hit. Him. He was like, I don't, don't talk about my hands. Well, don't talk about my hands. You yes. know, like, oh, oh. Yeah. And he never wore gloves on stage. <laughs> but, but so that was the one thing I, I toyed with, including that. I thought, why does anybody care? I shouldn't even have mentioned it on air, frankly. But, but it, you know, it was such a minor I'm incident. just curious. That it was like something for you guys that just to more personalized for people who are watching this. It's not in the book. It's like, just anything well, else. Well, we were human. You yeah, know, and we, human. we did have that one falling out. Mm-hmm. The funniest thing he ever did, and I think I mentioned it in the book, was the Graveline tour. Yes. Did I? Okay. But he loved, had a fascination with death and graves and body and people dying and yeah. oh my god! But he, my partner Michael Laughlin and I moved to Florida for a year. When we got back, he called and he said, "What are you doing?" We said, "Well, we're doing nothing. We're unemployed for a while." He said, "I'm taking you on my graveline oh, tour." God. So, oh my god, James, we went to Forest Lawn. Oh, really? Both of them. Yes. And he watched. He knew where everybody was. Oh, really? He even showed us where Lucille Ball was in the little. Th- she was in an urn. Oh, wow! And you know, she had married Morton, and yeah. so it said Morton. Wow. Um, didn't say anything about Lucille Ball. Wow. She's since moved to her hometown okay. in New York. Okay. But he marched us around the corner of that columbarium and he said, this is where I'm going to be buried. Okay. And he showed us the space that he had just bought. So, But we walked through Forest Lawn in hysterics <laughs> over him saying... Look, Nat King Cole is buried on top of Gracie Allen. Oh, for eternity. That's shocking. And, like, and so we did the same thing he did. We laughed. And yeah. people were like, this is a... This is a Sacrilege. Sacrilege. Yeah, you can't laugh at the dead. Oh, yes, you can. You can. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody better. Anything's, anything's fun. I mean, that's the thing about comedy, too, especially. It's like comedy... Isn't necessarily. I don't think there's that many rules in terms of what's not funny or funny. I think it's delivery. It's. I mean, how smart it is sometimes, yes, or even yeah. how silly it is sometimes. Well, and, and how surprising. Yeah. You know, it's funny when somebody falls off the back of a couch and disappears. Yeah. Because they disappear. Yeah. And it's it's just tummy, and it's also the unexpected. Mm-hmm. You know, comedy is really what you don't expect. Yeah. And and it also is the gift that Charles had. Yeah. Of just thinking funny. Yeah. He just thought funny. And some people are just. Some people are just. He was like born. Fans. He was born with it. Now, folks, um, tell them the reason why I should pick up this book. Tell them. Well, because they'll laugh a lot, for one thing. That's and true. for another reason, it's a very important part of history, gay history, entertainment history. Mm-hmm. This is a man who wasn't the pioneer of drag. I mean, my God, there were T.C. Jones and yeah, Arthur right. Blake's all over the world. Yeah. And I mean, men have been in drag since Shakespeare. Yeah, so yeah, let's yeah, not say yeah, you know, like yeah. he wasn't the first to do it. 
but he carried it a step further, and he had a huge following. He crossed over, you know, a lot of, you get a lot mm-hmm. of people straight people. So I say read the book to find out how brilliant the man was. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of pictures about how funny he could look mm-hmm. in these costumes. People like Angela Lansbury became a Mayer oh, admiration. Huge fan. Yeah, of they're his. a huge fan. There were a lot of very famous uh, showbiz yeah. people that, that loved him. So he really was iconic, and he wrote such good material mm-hmm. and such... And he was just a good guy, and yeah. I just want people to remember him mm-hmm. as a, a pioneer of the medium. Okay, yeah. And he wrote some very funny lines. And if you like to laugh, you it's in here. The lines are in here. There's some really funny stuff in here. Oh, it's yeah. in bold, so you can you can actually you can read what he said. Yeah, all of his lines are in bold. The yeah. story is in regular type, yeah. and then when he said anything, it just you know there it is. Yeah, you know, May West's lines about. Sex is a misdemeanor. Demoria misdemeanor you get. <laughs> yes, I know. Which his mother gave him. His mother was one of the funniest people. I think that's where he got a sense oh, of humor. okay. She was hysterical and loved him yeah. and loved his act oh, and wow. followed him everywhere he went and gave him a lot of material. Yeah. A lot of the, and I quote her, the ones I remember that yeah. she wrote. Yeah. Because there's so many people who gave him material. I'm sure. And I'm sure the one thing I'm going to hear from people is, I wrote that line. Yeah. Well... He paid you for it. Yeah, okay. So it's not yours anymore. Thank you. <laughs> so Thank you. Really, Thank really. you. So. Yeah. Okay. But it's just, it's just. I mean, I for me, I said I was excited to see this. And I, a documentary needs to happen. It will. Of it's some sort. Of some sort. It's, needs to happen. I mentioned Michael Kearns. He's got somebody that's interested okay. in doing it. And Michael wants to be involved. Okay. Michael is such a great supporter of okay. Olaf Charles and of me and yeah. of the book. And of his own, he's still writing himself. He's wow. writing important theater. You got to get him in here. I'll, I want. I want him. Get I'll him to call me. him. And I will. Thank you. Tell him. I, him I, I will take you. I'll take care of him. I'll make yeah. sure it's a, it's a okay. good interview. Yeah. But okay. I would, look, he's, he's another person. That's another part of history. I think people need to hear from. Oh, the whole happy hustler thing. Yes. Everything. Oh, everything. God. Oh, I know. Do I know? I just. I just. You know. It's, it's just. This is so great because you know we're. I feel like. The gay acceptance, we're kind of in our young adult years now, so to speak, in history. Do you? Uh, that's very interesting to say. I think it's kind of like young adults. Like, like we're yeah. coming of age a little bit now. Past puberty, huh? We finally made it back. Yeah, puberty. because, you know, we were wild kids back in the 70s. At the 80s, we paid for it. And we then, paid for you it. Know, yeah. And, and so now we're coming out of it. So maybe maybe mid-adulthood, you know, maybe mid-20s yeah. to yeah. late-20s, kind yeah. of. I think you're right. I feel like it. And I think that's why I want this and more books like this, please, mm-hmm. everybody yes. out yes. there. Yes, please, please, please. Please, if you... And the other thing that I have to say that just came in my mind, mm-hmm. archive everything. Anything you think oh, yes. might be interesting to anybody else, save it. I have some stuff. Oh, yeah. I think we all do. No, I did. Like, oh, my garage is full of stuff. Well, yeah. that's okay. That's right. what garages you are You can for. find a way to... I'm going to organize. You make it very neatly. You can do it in there. And then there are places like USC's yes. The One, mm-hmm. ONE, the capital of One Archives, yeah. a remarkable place yeah. that has everything from old, original porn mm-hmm. To, I mean, uh, all magazines, the porn, all the literature. films, and there's also places that actually have. You, they're here in LA for sure. That are climate controlled storage units. Oh my God, they're so careful. Because I have, I have some real, real stuff from my grandfather that I'm like, I probably should put it in somewhere where it's like really safe. Between them and UCLA, who yeah. does have good archives for any media, yeah. um, the videotapes, beta tapes, and all this stuff, mm-hmm. you think's disintegrating. They have a way of, yeah. well, they'll digitize them for mm-hmm. one thing yeah. and then save them that way. But who knows whether digitizing is going to last? Right, that's I mean, true. we don't know. I right. mean, it's, it's changed. Look at how much has changed in our lifetimes. Yeah, I was, a great I was born in oh. seventy-eight. Versus, sorry to cut you off. No, tell us. Please tell us. There's a great documentary called Video versus Film that goes all about that and oh. the positives oh. and negatives between the two, and like, will digital last forever? 
cover and like the advantage of shooting on film as opposed to shooting oh, good on to digital know. and everything. It's great. Check it out. Okay. Oh, I, I will check it out. I see. That's great to know. That's uh, the other James, folks. Hi, James, and thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, that's actually cool Why to know. Why don't you sit with us? <laughs> <laughs> He's engineering us right now. He can't sit with oh, us right okay, now. Fine. I am thoroughly enjoying this interview. Oh, oh thank you. Great. Thank you. But, so that's, but, but, but it's a whole, whole thing that, yeah, that if you, I, have so, I have a couple of magazines, a couple of um, flyers from back in the 80s. Oh, Listen, this is kind of thing one archives is de not yeah. desperate for because yeah. a lot of, there are a lot of people who are finally realizing that they should hold on to it mm -hmm. and just take it to them. Yeah, you know, or you know, just mail, whatever, but d do get it to them. Somehow. Or in any city, there are a lot of big cities though that do have gay and lesbian centers. More Sometimes and more. more and more. So I'm yeah. saying, if you're not in LA and you don't, you know, or somewhere big, or San Francisco, San Francisco, of course, of course. if you're not in those kind of places that have them in the West Village in New York, right. there are. Look around. Look, you know, go on the internet, look up, and see what you can find. There might be a place that if you have something you want to get, give to somebody that could really, they might be there. So. I say the more they have, the better it will be for the future generations. I agree. I mean, there's more and more. I mean, the internet has changed our lives, and yes. thank God for YouTube. Mm -hmm. Because oh, yes, for one reason, you can see a lot of Charles Pierce. Yes, he's always a lot on there. Folks. All you do is enter Charles yeah. Pierce, and you can. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so thank God for that. And so now stuff is is being archived as we live mm -hmm. in, and I'm I'm glad that's happening. But there's still things that we have in our closets, in our garages yeah. that that might be of use to somebody. Um, did you? There's a documentary on Joe Braith. Oh God, yes. Which was yeah. a great. Which I remember that. seeing the on the Sunset Strip the big posters. Yeah. They were trying to really support. They wanted to make him the first openly gay super rock superstar. And he sang great rock music. Yeah. And because they were front off of David Bowie and all that. Because David Bowie was kind of like, I'm bi. I don't know. Where he was like, he's gonna be gay. He's gonna come out. It was, it was the 70s. It was hard rock, and it failed. But it's, not, but it's a great documentary. The documentary about the whole thing is just beautiful. Well, you know, and that's why we had to keep trying. You know, yes. we didn't know what was how, how out we could get. Right here, we I started working with Charles in 1969. Right. Stonewall was happening in New York. Yes, we were watching it on TV, going, "Oh, what's happening?" And here we are in San Francisco doing this gay right. play, thinking, "Well, we're fine. Everybody's right. out in San Francisco," right. and we kind of were. Yeah, it, you know, we yeah. were the bubble. It was a bubble. bubble. It was yeah. a little bubble, but we felt like it was it was just fine. And you also know American. Family, the grand, the oh. great grandfather of reality TV. Yep. My parents were said they watched PBS. They were there for those with those ten weeks. They were there watching it. I was a little, I wasn't really watching it, but they were there. I saw it later with Lance Loud and everything. So that's a whole, that's a whole thing. It's very a great important. documentary on that too that came out recently, yep. not too long ago. Yep. No. But it's like there was very few options, and you know, he didn't say he was gay. He still considered that he came out on national television. He came out as much as you could. Yes, because he was know? in New York. He was in New York, and he was with yeah. those weird people. Right, it was kind of like right. thing. And his mom was like, "Oh, okay," and. Yeah, Charles was very funny about it. In interviews, uh, straight interviews, would ask him if he was gay. And what would he say? And he, he would say, uh, and he would just change the subject. He said, "It's not important that I'm gay. It's important mm -hmm. that there are gays." You mm -hmm. know, he said, "I may be." What do you think? And he would tease people. Yeah, it was yeah. great, but he never really said out openly, "I am gay," ever until right toward the end. Yeah, and he didn't want to. He didn't yeah. want that to be any. He didn't want anything. To discourage anybody from coming to see him, yeah. somebody that might from the straight side right. come over and and enjoy his enjoy his because you have like because you have him and you have Liberace, which is the other one who well and that was who the... didn't come out either really just kind of no he was flamboyant so he played piano really well and he was entertaining and he wore all the rings and so you assume what you assume right you know uh, right well, presume yep. <laughs> <laughs>
Totally. I mean, so there's there were figures out. That's why I, said, I go back to Charles, or somebody who just like he was really ballsy to me to go out there, and just kind of in his own way, he was kind of political without being overly political. Well, that's why you mentioned Vector earlier. Yes. Um, I used to do the graphics for Vector. Oh, you did. Oh, 1973. Wow. I saw those magazines still. I have them. Well, you probably got the one that has my interview in there. Well, oh my it wasn't God. an interview. It was a story I wrote. They had, uh, it was one issue. They said, you work with Charles Pierce. Do you want to write a little article about him? Because I was sort of a writer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it turns out Put some senses together. Now, now you are a writer. You're an so, author. But I got this idea because Vector had a little subtitle, A Voice for the Gay Community. Yes, I know. Yeah. So I thought, that's actually what Charles Pierce is, whether mm -hmm. he says it out loud right. or not. He was becoming a voice for the gay community because so many straight people were coming and enjoying gay yeah, humor. Yeah. And all of a sudden, gays and straights are sitting side by side and they're like, nobody's dying. They're, they're getting along. You know, and it's not contagious. Right. You know, so it's like, <laughs> you're still straight when you leave the theater. Straight. It's, it's okay. okay. But okay. you can laugh yeah. at gay humor. Yeah. Or humor that he's even, I mean, Charles really wasn't, I yes, he had a lot of gay humor. Yeah. I mean, that great line about, he used to when he started crossing over, and people would come in, and, and he he actually had to say after a line one I'll never forget the first time he did it. He said Marie Antoinette was not the only queen of history that lost her head over a basket. <laughs> wait for it, wait for it, and it was the kind of thing that Charles had to say. You know, you ha I do ask you to think from time to times, and you have to know what I'm talking about. To know what I'm talking about. Okay. So he did this kind of crossover thing, mm -hmm. and I started writing about it. So I wrote this article in yeah. 1973 yeah. about Charles Pierce becoming a voice for the gay community yeah. in a magazine called The Voice of the I Gay Community. I probably have it. I probably have it. Probably do. I probably and, do. And, you know, as a matter of fact, oh, I did reprint it in here. I just remembered. Yeah, 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 it is. I can't remember where it is, but it's, it's toward the back of the book, and it's called exactly that. It was just... Um, a voice for the gay community. Oh, there it is. I hadn't read that part yet. Okay. Right. I read, Page one forty-two for all of you yes, at home following along. <laughs> I, read, I, just, I read the last thing I was, I was reading was the, his actual book that was in here. That you found. I read all that. Actually, was to be included. Well, and even this is what I said in nineteen seventy-three. Charles Pierce has never considered himself a spokesman for the gay community, nor has he ever con consciously tried to be one. But in his own unique, entertaining, and endearing way. He continues to bring the straight community to a greater acceptance of the gay, and in doing so has unintentionally, but importantly, become a voice for the gay community. And so, and this is 1973. I know. So we were all kind of ahead of our times. Yeah. And um, very proud of the fact that I worked with the guy, yeah. and now that I've written about him. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank this you. It was such a pleasure. What a joy. Um, I love people who've done their homework. I yeah. did do my homework. I did do my homework. I did. I, but it was did. happy homework. It was happy homework. Yeah, the is. book's called Write That Down. Go buy it now. It's uh, Amazon.com is the best place to get yes, it. Yes, go get it. Go yeah. get it. it you, will, you will not be sorry. And this is something that's very important for our entertainment and gay history. So do it. Thank you so much. From managing editor Jason Spiller, And I will see you next time. Books are online. I do another interview. Thank you. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir From Richard executive producer and this Maria is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. 
I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.